Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or if it's 2 a.m., go to bed already. This is Eagle Eyes on Tech, and I'm Jared, and I'm filling in for Eagle Falcon. Um, Eagle Falcon's not really feeling too good, so I volunteered to help him out and record this episode for him. Uh, just to let you guys know a little bit more about myself, who I am, and why I'm doing this. Uh, I'm also a fellow Twitch streamer, no Eagle Falcon from Twitch. We made friends over on there, on that platform. Uh, so I'm also a streamer. I go by uh, Up Down Off Die with my co streaming partner, Tiffany, if you guys uh, want to check that out or anything. Uh, my background is actually, though, my day job is um, I'm a computer science uh, graduate from Cal State Fullerton, um, and I work as a software engineer every day. So I definitely have a foothold in the tech industry, and actually uh, some of the stuff that Giggle Falcon covers in this podcast was actually pretty interesting to me. And so when he was asking for help, I thought, hey, I think I could do that. I could help him out. But this is my first episode, so kind of bear with me here. Uh, Eagle Falcon sent me some links to articles that he would normally cover, so I could kind of help with the consistency. But you're also going to probably get different viewpoints uh, from me than him. So bear with me if you normally agree with him and maybe not so much on my viewpoints, but I'm going to get it right into it. The first one is Bethesda accidentally leaking personal data of Fallout 76 customers looking for help. So add this onto the stack of all the disasters, of, especially from last week with the canvas bag mishap to the Fallout 76 problems. Uh, ignoring the game, which I actually heard is kind of okay. Uh, mostly the big complaint I've heard from other streamers is that the $60 price tag was outrageous. But uh, I haven't played it myself, haven't gone around to it. Not super interesting. Doesn't sound super great, but... This, the drama surrounding this game is like seems to be just building up like an astronomical rate. Um, a customer tweeted Bethesda, I'm receiving other people's support tickets on my Bethesda account. I have numerous other people receipts for Power Armor that sets that include their email, home address, and type of card used. That's not good, right? So essentially doxing their own customers with their address and names and stuff like that. Uh, pretty serious stuff. Uh, Bethesda retweet responded with, we're experiencing an error with our customer service website that allowed some customers to view support tickets submitted by a limited number of other customers during the brief outage, expo- brief exposure window. Upon discovery, we Im- immediately took down the website to fix the error. So, yeah, uh, they definitely, well, they didn't, res- they said they didn't re- uh, show any full credit card numbers, which is good, but I mean, or passwords, no credit cards or passwords were revealed. But I mean, obviously showing your customers' addresses to a bunch of people. And you know, it wasn't just one person. It was several people who were able to see these receipts for a lot of people. Um, they plan on contacting the customers, which is obviously, I think, what you legally have to do when there's a data breach like that. So it's not like good on them. It's them following the law uh, if there's a data breach. I'm pretty sure companies have to notify those that are affected. Um, and so that's just another another like it's just so they're just doing such a bad job over there with this game this game is just filled with drama uh so chalk that one up to another fail probably probably not gonna want to touch this game anytime soon with all that stuff uh next up is the valve announcing changes to their steam revenue cut uh this one's kind of interesting uh because uh some implications that it has uh, Steam just announced that they're changing the revenue cut for basically larger studios, or their, their, their cut is changed overall, but it benefits larger studios, and this is how. Um, based on the number of sales games get sold, the, the, the 
price, the cut that Steam takes goes down. Um, Steam, Steam or, or Valve, I mean, sorry, a Valve will take our, its standard 30% cut from games that make less than $10 million. Games that generate between $10 million and $50 million in revenue will only see 25% of the revenue taken by Valve. Um, meanwhile, the games that generate less than $50 million will see an increased savings. Uh, Valve tax cut reduced to 20%. Uh, and so this will take effect October 1st, 20, uh, 2018, which already is already passed. So what that effectively means is if you sell less than $10 million in sales of your games, you're still going to be under the standard 30% cut. So that means out of every dollar, 30 cents, it goes to Valve. That's their fee for listing on a store. It's very similar to uh, Google's Android uh, Play Store. Their cut for all sales through the Play Store is 30% as well. Uh, you may have heard of some of this stuff uh, with Fortnite and whatnot, which we'll get into in a second. But uh, so this heavily favors larger developments that sell over $50 million in sales, as after that, they will only see a 20% cut. So what they're effectively doing is trying to um, entice larger developers to stay onto Steam platform to hopefully keep publishing their games on the Steam platform and developing more games for the Steam platform rather than as you're starting to see some of these other stores crop up as there's been Origin for years and Uplay for years and some smaller ones here and there. Um, of course, the reason for these is that those developers that make their own stores get to keep 100% of the cut. But maybe if it's a 20% cut, maybe it's worth those sales. Because kind of what I always say is like a 20% loss on a sale is better than no sale at all. And so maybe it will entice them to release their games eventually on the Steam store or something like that. Um, it's just something to kind of incentivize releasing games and continuing to release games on the store uh, instead of trying to make their own their own cut. Um, now that leads us into this new thing, which is the Epic Game launching. Epic Games is launching its own store. Now this is a really interesting and kind of controversial topic um, because I'm me personally. I'm a big fan of Steam. I have let me check how many games do I have. I have almost fifteen hundred games on Steam. Uh, I subscribe to the Humble Bundle. I get all my games to Humble Bundle and like stuff like that. And so I've been I kind of hoard them. Uh, as a as a Twitch streamer, this has been super beneficial for me because I'm almost able to play like whatever game I want, or I, when the audience requests a game, I have most of the games that I need as, to pull from. Uh, the downside of that, it's really hard to find games that you want to play randomly. But so I'm a big fan of Steam, so it's like I'm kind of rooting for them to to win in the long run. But the Steam Store or the Epic Game Store is actually super interesting. So they just announced that they're launching their own store, um, which, by the way, tip for you guys, all through 2019. Uh, every two weeks, Epic Games is going to be giving away a free game on there. So definitely want to take advantage of that. Because what I always say, too, as well, even though I have a bunch of games on Steam, I always try to make sure I get as many games on different platforms as possible. It's kind of it's kind of like diversifying your investment. So if Steam ever goes away for whatever reason, I'll at least have some games on other platforms. So I always try to make sure I have as many games as possible on all platforms at all times. And that way I have the most access to games. So just a little tip for you guys. Definitely take advantage of any free games being given out there. Um, the first one I think is Subnautica. So I've played a little bit of it. Pretty awesome. It's a well-loved game. Definitely pick that up. But more on this Epic Games Store. So they're trying to compete with Steam, obviously. And this kind of comes from the whole Apple Store, Google Play Store taking 30%. Um, and them going, well, why? We don't want to you know, split that. So the whole thing, there's that, all that drama before about them 
uh, releasing just the raw APK for Android, right? And then there was like people like scamming people and uploading fake ones and a whole deal with that. And so what they're trying to like curve that is by legitimizing their outside the Apple Store or like Play Store kind of thing by like releasing their own store. This kind of goes in hand with their new PC Epic Game Store um, launch. And so one of the things that they're trying to do here is give developers a bigger cut. So now with, if you're an indie dev and you're looking at it and you see, oh, Steam is going to take 30% of me. There's no way I'm ever going to make $10 million in, or over like over $10 million in sales to get a better revenue cut. Um, I'm, I'm ever only going to get, you know, 30%, you know, that's the best you're going to get, 70% uh, of your cut. The Epic Game Store is going to give developers um, a much better deal, especially if you're a Unity, or if you're a Unity um, or a, a U- Unreal Engine 4 developer. Uh, they're getting about, they're get, they'll get 12% loss on that. So you're going to be getting 88% of your normal standard savings on the Epic Game Store, which is like, it's crazy. So if you're using the uh, Unity, I'm sorry, the Unreal Engine 4, you have to pay uh, Epic Games 5%, or no, 5%, 5% on, on to use the engine. But if you release that game on Epic Game Store, they they eat that cut out of their own out of their own 12% cut from your store. So you you basically get that you, the engine for free now, which is a very popular engine. So if you release on Steam, you're paying a 30% to Steam plus a 5% back to Epic. Or if you release on the Epic Game Store, it's just 12%. There is no additional 5%. Now if you have a Unity game, you publish on Steam, that's a, there's a flat 30% because Unity has a deal with smaller developers with the, being able to use their engine for free. Now, if you release that game on Epic, it's still 12%. So you can see there, they're getting a much better deal. You're going to get 88% or 88 cents to the dollar, essentially, on Epic Games. So this is super enticing, especially with that release of that news of the, the basically them not giving Valve not giving small developers like any you know additional revenue. So it's pretty impressive if you are a smaller developer. Um, I've even heard some stories of indie devs not releasing their games on Steam or pushing back the release dates, um, which almost be pretty logical if you're trying to get the most bang for your buck. Uh, release on Epic first, wait a few months, then push on to Steam for the the extra sales that you could get. Um, or if you just want to, you know, keep all your money released on an Epic. Now, again, you might be like me and go, I love Steam. Um, I don't really like this. I want it all on one platform and all that stuff. Now, overall, I would say having like five or six launchers isn't that big of a problem. I don't think the launcher issue is that bad yet. I do find it annoying. I am looking at at least four on my computer right now, five, I think, or something like that. It is annoying, but if it's like less than 10, it's really not that bad. Now, tracking where your games are installed at, where you own them, it is kind of a cumbersome process, but it's not that bad yet. I'm scared of it getting bad, but not bad yet. Now, again, I'm a big Valve fan, but this is why I'm kind of excited about this. The reason why is not only because it's okay, cool, it's going to help devs, great, whatever. Like, you're, you're a game player. Maybe you don't care about the devs, you know. But, I mean, they are humans too, especially if they're indie devs. Some of them are alone, and they're, they're probably providing for their families with this. But why it's kind of exciting, for me at least, is the creator of one of the creators for of the Epic Game Store is actually the creator of Steam Spy. And Steam Spy was the website used to track analytics on in sales on the on the Steam store before 
before the privacy changed on Steam. But it, it was actually a super valuable tool for those on the industry. It gave lots of statistics and insights onto game sales and how they sold and all that stuff. It was very valuable. It was actually like a big bummer to a lot of people when it got shut down. Now, this guy, uh, Sergey Galyonkin, Galia, I can't say his last name, but let's just call him Sergey. Um, so he developed this in his free time in Steam Spy. But then he came out, like, he's actually one of the directors for the Epic Game Store. And what it makes the Epic Game Store so interesting, though, is it's not just another store being launched. This guy has so much insight. He ran Steam Spy for like over four years now. Uh, I think it started in 2015 or something like that. So three or four years or so. Um, and he did this in his free time. So he always had a passion for the statistics of, and, and the insight into the industry. He talked to devs. He talked to publishers and all this stuff about like this data that he provided to them. And he got insight onto what they like and what they don't like and all that. And he took that information and, and they integrated it heavily into the Epic Game Store, which is really cool. So they took in you know, user feedback from what they don't like about Steam and the issues people were having and are implementing it into the Steam store for a be- I mean, the Epic Game Store for a better experience. So hopefully they're actually going to be make- being better than Steam in those regards of improving uh, user experience. One of the things is the review bombing and people getting mad and just posting negative reviews on a game. Um, and I, he said, like, developers hate that. Developers don't want that at all. It's... It, 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 it sucks to be like, that's how you find about issues of your game. So they're not even going to have a form on there. Rather, you're going to be able to open up tickets with the developer directly, which I think ultimately that's better for everyone. Yeah, having an open, transparent system where you can leave reviews is great. But if that's your way of trying to get the developer's attention, that sucks because you're ruining the game's rating for something that could be fixed if you contacted them using a ticket. So there's a lot of cool stuff with that. Um, and so I definitely always trust someone with like domain knowledge, like expert domain knowledge in the system. And this Sergey guy is like, who, who better, right? And so to take that and like actually take that feedback into account for this, and rather than just like releasing an origin, like origin was just launched because EA just wants to keep all their money for the same reason most of these people do. And it's kind of cool to hear like, no, I, the guy who worked on this very cool tool is now taking that data back to make a better product. So it's kind of exciting. Um, and all that stuff. The other thing too, is I heard some criticism of people going, Oh, it's a fort Fortnite store or whatever like that. But I mean, steam launch steam's success is on the backbone of half-life and counter-strike the, you know, a non-source original source steam, got going because of Half-Life. It was essentially the Half-Life store. I mean, I remember I got the code. I bought Half-Life, a physical key. I had to go install it, Steam, and install it. There wasn't any other games besides Valve developed games on Steam at first. And you could go and install, like, your Half-Life, your Blue Shift, uh, Counter-Strike, Ricochet... Um, there was, like... It was, there was no storefront. It was just a place to install your games. And so, I mean, to call it uh, the Fortnite store, I mean, like, I mean, sure, whatever, call it whatever you want. But Fortnite probably already has way more installs, concurrent users, download sales than Half-Life did at the time of, you know, Steam. So, I mean, if Steam could, be- if Steam could be made off the back of, of two games, uh, I think Epic's going to be just fine making off the back of Fortnite. And of course, me personally, I don't like Fortnite that much. I never really played it. I'm not too good at it. I don't really care. 
but uh, I understand the cultural relevance of it. And in, in the same way that like, I mean, I'm not trying to compare uh, Fortnite to Half-Life. I mean, I definitely have my own opinions about that. But I'm just saying in terms of volume of sales and cultural relevance, I think at the moment Fortnite's doing better in those regards than Half-Life was back at in its day. And so if you're going to be, if people are saying, Oh, it's just a Fortnite store. Honestly, I would say that's probably a good thumbs up that it's going to be doing just fine and successful. And of course, again, taking into account um, developer experience and developer shares, that's a big threat to Steam. Now, here's where I get off. Um, I hope that Steam responds to this and makes their platform better because, again, all my games are there. Now, if Steam could improve their developer experience and their user experience by taking, taking this as a threat, and trying to respond to it, that makes me super excited because, of course, I only want a better experience for myself. So if Steam could get better, awesome, perfect, great. Um, if not, I'm going to have an Epic Game Store. I'm going to I'm going to get like 20 games this year for free, and that's fine too. And I'll have both platforms. Um, in the end, I feel like uh, as consumers, we all kind of win from this in a way from the Epic Game launching their own store um, competition against Steam. Uh, actually, for the once in this is the first time I've actually feel like. This is legitimate threat to Steam, a legitimate competition that might make them shift some of their ways. Uh, developers getting a better cut, I think, is only going to produce better games, more games. Uh, developers are going to be happier. Great. Awesome. And hopefully a better experience overall. It's lighter, faster, uh, less clutter. You don't need a deep chat system or forums in my game launcher. So I think that's cool. So on to the, the next topic. Completely different. Um... NVIDIA reveals the Titan of Turing, Titan RTX. So this is the next in line of the Titan series of graphics cards. So obviously not made for consumers, but, you know, it's always kind of been the cornerstone of like what's to come in the next, uh, uh, you know, consumer-based graphics cards. The Turing-powered Titan delivers 130 teraflops of deep learning horsepower 11 gig rays of ray tracing performance and uh, to the world's most demanding users. So I'm not super in-depth on hardware. I'm a software engineer. I didn't dive too much into like how much or the difference of like a teraflop of the different graphics cards. But either way, this is obviously, I mean, Titan series are always pushing the envelope and what it could do. Um, this card is primarily focused for AI researchers and deep learning developers, data scientists, and a creative uh, like professionals. Uh, cool thing about this is it could it could um, it could uh, process for real time 8K video editing, which is crazy, um, and it could uh, uh, has uh, 576 multi precision Turing sensor tensor cores um, that provide up to 130 teraflops of deep learning, 72 turning uh, real time cores delivering 11. Giga rays per second of rate real time ray tracing. So there's your ray tracing performance. Uh, 24 gigabytes of high speed GDDR6 memory. That's a 672 gigabits per second of bandwidth. Uh, that's twice the memory of the previous generation Titan GPUs. That's crazy. That's craziness. That's like, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's wow. That's a, yeah, it's just su super fast. That's faster than like most uh, solid state drives, obviously, as most RAM does. But 24 gigs of it is a ton. I mean, look, your my graphics card has like eight. Uh, a lot of the newer graphics cards have 16. That has 24, so tons. Um, so yeah, 
that that has a price tag of $2,500. So again, not meant for consumers, although if you can't afford it, you're going to get one of the best <laughs> graphics cards for gaming. But of course, it's mostly meant for uh, professionals, industries. So uh, I'm not super into all the stats, but I just want to include that. It's very impressive, very cool uh, to see what the NVIDIA is doing in the AI space. Next up is Sony's foldable Xperia smartphone. Um, they're they're kind of touting an, uh, a concept that then the, one of their next phones could potentially have a transparent screen. Now this is pretty cool looking. Uh, it's just so far it's not real. It's not real yet, at least. But they're just showing off how it could be done potentially. There's some concept art of a screen with a transparent uh, a phone with a transparent screen. Uh, looks like it could fold. Uh, it's so they're just um, so they file patents for this. And it's just kind of cool to see. It's like that's kind of something you would see in like Star Trek or something where someone pulls out a piece of glass and it's their phone or something like that. And so it's just really cool. Uh, one of the main focus of it, though, is uh, imagine AR, te- AR technique. It's essentially an AR phone. Uh, instead of glasses, though, you'd hold up your phone and the phone would be like a window into the AR world. So especially imagine Pokemon uh the, with the AR ver- view or whatever like that. Instead of it using your camera, you wouldn't need a camera. It would just display it over the um, display over the screen. You know, the, the you know Pikachu would just be floating there with, through the lens of the, the your their, your screen. There's no more camera needed. Um, it's kind of out of reach. Obviously, this isn't probably going to come anytime soon. Uh, but it's just a neat concept that you know that could be seen someday. And it's always cool to see some of these concepts that the uh, companies make. Uh, because it's always kind of like, well, what is that? Like, who needs that? But then it's always a thing that, like, you always, they always have to push really far into, like, weird the ideas and weird designs. And then one of those will catch and that will become the norm. And it just always these explorations into some weird stuff that may not ever be done. I don't ever see this ever happening anytime soon, especially. But it's neat to see companies investigating and trying to de- deliver these things, at least as concepts, at least as something that's physical if you could hold it. Um, just because there's always something that comes out of that technology. And that's really neat to see. Obviously, one of the concerns I actually read in the comments from somebody um, in this in this mock-up there's really no place for the battery. So given that like you have a transparent screen or a transparent phone, that means you, have, you need transparent components or you need to hide all the components inside of a bezel. Now at the bottom of this concept art, there is a gray bar where you could potentially hide a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the components for phones, especially if, they, if we're able to shrink them down to some degree. But batteries are always a tricky one. Battery technology is super like if you're if you're like a, a scientist or an engineer in the in a field of like batteries you pay they get paid really well because right that's something that we haven't really been able to fully perfect and like we're having trouble making batteries much better than they are today so where like where's a battery going to go on a phone like this and in these mock-ups it's running android as the xperia line has so uh it's a concept very cool but again it raises a big question batteries like what about a camera you know where does that all go um where are you going to hide all that stuff there's these are components that cannot be made transparent but very cool um this is an article actually by i just want to know by damien mason uh he's actually a a friend of mine and a a mod i did not include this article because of that uh these were provided to me by eagle falcon i just wanted to know how funny that was that he included an article from uh, our twitch mod I just wanted a brag, really. Anyways, moving on. Then uh, switching gears again. This is another kind of a weird story for me. 
Microsoft is building a Chromium Power Web uh, browser that through replace Edge. So if you don't know, Edge was a successor to Internet Explorer from going on Windows 10. Of course, you saw Windows Explorer for some reason. I don't really understand. Edge was kind of Microsoft's new take on an evergreen browser. Evergreen, of course, meaning it always updates in the background, kind of like Chrome does and Firefox. And honestly, if anyone's not using, uh, I'm a web developer. If you're not using evergreen browser, I hate you uh, so much because you hold the web back. Uh, evergreen browsers to me in today's age are like almost necessary. So Internet Explorer, like 11, even 10, 10, whatever anyone uses, crap. Like a lot of people in the government still have to use like Internet Explorer because that's what all their stuff is compatible with. They hold back. Having to support those browsers is a pain. Um, so Edge was, uh, was, was the first browser by Microsoft that had evergreen support to some degree, sort of-ish. Um, stuff, it's the same thing, uh, uh, what is it safari sucks as well because the updates for safari come out with the operating system that's garbage no that browser needs to be updated like on a daily basis if needed anyways um it's crazy it's so they're killing off edge which was their own browser to use a chromium chromium is of course also the open source uh, source base code for chrome chrome itself isn't open source but it's based off of chromium which is Chromium is open source, and then they modify that for their own thing. Uh, there's several browsers that do this, um, particularly one that I really like is uh, Brave. Brave is a security-focused one. It's also built off Chromium, but they strip out any of the Google code and all that stuff. Um, it's really cool, too. It lets you support your content creators using uh, cryptocurrency, and there's a whole bunch of stuff about it that's really neat. Um, I have some links on our on like, on like our Twitter and stuff about that. Um, but it's... it's a, anyways... This is a weird thing for me though because it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, I like obviously like Chromium browsers are cool and people like them and obviously people like to hate on Microsoft for arbitrary reasons. If you actually open up Edge, it's not too bad. It's and it's also really fast and especially on a laptop, it actually saves more battery than Chrome does. Um, I don't know the exact difference on the battery usage between like Firefox and all that, but like Chrome to Edge, if you're on like a laptop, using Edge actually uses less battery. Uh, and, it, and it's pretty fast and it's nice. It's not, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles of Chrome and all that stuff. The thing that kind of scares me, though, is this monopolization of Chromium as people's browsers. And it kind of scares me because it means like lack of innovation. Um, like I said, at least someone was trying when they made Edge and that was kind of cool. So, of course, like everyone, of course, Edge is a big failure, apparently. Um, it's just like... It's kind of disappointing to see uh, another unique browser kind of bite the dust. Because, I mean, now tell me how many browsers, like, tell me anything that's not a Chromium based browser. You got Firefox, you got um, the Safari, Opera? Like, that's like that's it. You know, I don't even know anymore. So, that's kind of, I don't know, kind of scary to just see, like, well, because then what, what happens when, if, like, Chromium gets too slow. Then we're all just stuck with all these browsers that are based on Chromium. So anyways, though, interesting, though, and kind of cool. So um, they're going to call it Blink. Uh, it's codename Anaheim. And that's going to hopefully replace Windows 10 browser um, Edge in the upcoming releases. Um, so we'll see in, if that's worth its salt or how does Microsoft screw, <laughs> screw it up this time because they don't really have a strong track record with uh, maintaining their browser support very well or supporting all the latest features. Although at one moment when Edge came out, it actually supported more 
uh, web features than Chrome. And that was kind of cool for a little while. You could check that out on caniuse.com. That's what I check out when I need to make sure if something's going to be supported by what browsers or, you know, who's, how many people are on what, what, how many people, it, it shows you the distribution of browser usage. And it's, it's a really neat website. Um, but you could see what features are supported by what and on there. So we'll hopefully see Blink be added to that sometime soon. On to another kind of blunder, in this case, a little bit funnier. Um, there's a misconfigured network vulnerable to PewDiePie prank. So essentially what happened here um, in this uh, on this blog post, or this uh, Sonos community forum post, which is kind of a funny place to find out about this, um, Misconfiguring networks allowed multiple devices to be listed on the internet publicly. There's actually websites for this kind of stuff uh, that like more, it's not like, it's not dark web, but like hackers kind of set up uh, some of these websites where like you could browse public webcams. Well, quote unquote public, they may or may not be intentionally public. Um, there's stuff like this on the internet. You guys got to make sure you guys are protecting yourself here. Uh, otherwise, if your devices are on the internet publicly, they're kind of be going to they're going to be indexed and listened listed publicly. Uh, the it's not a super easy thing to do, but people have ways of scanning and indexing all this stuff and and stuff like that. So basically, uh, in misconfigured network allowed like printers, which is there like a few weeks ago. There was a whole thing about someone. Uh, making printers print out the thing to go subscribe to PewDiePie's website, which is, of course, is a longer topic about the the battle for number one content creator on YouTube, PewDiePie versus, uh, what is it, T-Series, I think it is, something like that, some weird uh, conglomerate web YouTube channel, which is an odd thing. Um, but uh, this time, it was uh, Sonos speakers being listed publicly and then a prank of an audio file being played through them. So, of course, uh, just kind of a warning, a funny warning here that much worse things could have happened. Honestly, this is kind of the funniest thing. I think one of the best case scenarios for this. Uh, but make sure that you have your network set up um, and properly and have it locked down accordingly. Um, and, f oh, my gosh, here's a rant of mine. If you get a new Wi-Fi router change the freaking password to be human like readable like words and stuff like that i know it kind of makes it like dictionary attackable but like having random characters isn't like any really be much better make it something long human readable like it's just that that's the thing that's going to protect you with the w that make sure it's wpa2 encryption and then pick a long like like several words you know as long as you could go really honestly something that you could like write down or whatever also here's a thing uh, a note that if you if you let someone log into your wi-fi it's just as good as telling them yourself i had i know a few people who were like hey i go hey can i log into your wi-fi and they go oh give me your phone and they'll log in for me i could just go pull that that right back out like there's there's if, if you make whatever you make your password it, assume that you're telling that person they, they'll know it you know if you if you log in for them so just uh, be smart about it obviously don't make your password like something too simple where like a dictionary attack can apply but if it's long enough you should be fine uh length is really the most important thing when it comes to passwords anywhere but like just just it's crazy to me also people who leave it as a default like spectrum internet like it's so crazy there's so many of these stupid routers from name name your router something nice for yourself that you can remember at least change it from the default because that kind of gives away a little bit of information about your router. And then pick a nice long password that you could remember, but also 
uh, is long and secure. It's crazy. But yeah, but also make sure you go in your routers and set them up. Don't just like, hey, the guy plugged it in and we're all good to go. Um, just uh, stuff like that's really funny. Also, if you need help setting up your network, find someone, your friend or something who's a little bit more technical and buy them lunch or dinner or something like that. Invite them over and ask them to I invite them over with the intention of, you know, like let them know you want help with your computer and then be like, well, buy food and watch a movie after something like that. As someone who uh, I often help my friends out, having someone offer me that would be make it that'd make it fun. You know, I'd be like, oh, hell yeah, we'll hang out and I'll work on your computer. and We'll watch a movie. Uh, I could do both at the same time. And if you offer to buy me food, I am way more likely to be inclined to help you out. So if you need help with that, your friend also, by the way, services like that range into the 30, 60, $100 an hour rate. So having a friend that you could like rely on that you could easily bribe with some food, they'll probably be more than happy to help you out anyways, if they're a nice person, but greasing the wheels with some food will definitely get me over to your house faster. So that's definitely something like some advice, like they're willing to forego the hundred of dollars that they could be charging um just for some quality friendship time and some food just a just a tip for you out there and now on to some ryzen news i'm pretty sure uh i think eagle falcon loves these uh i think he loves the the ryzen pressers i think correct me if i'm wrong uh eagle falcon but uh this is pretty exciting. The new series, the 3000 series Zen 2 CPUs are rumored to go up to 16 cores and 5.1 gigahertz boost clock, which is very impressive. Um, of course, I'll break down some of the specs in, later on, but just hearing that flat out is like, wow, that's really exciting because uh, my current gen, of course, this is a newer generation, so it's, it's not exact direct comparison, but I have a a uh 8700k cpu and i could overclock it to 5.1 or 5.2 if i'm careful enough but that's not out of the box so seeing a 5.1 gigahertz out of the box 16 cores like that's pretty impressive especially again for content creators uh my gaming computer has the has the intel and then our our streaming game uh, streaming computer has the ryzen for that reason for that extra you know extra cpus for uh streaming high quality content uh, I'm able to stream at like 1080p, 6,000 kilobits per second, and it only takes up like less than uh, like 50% of my CPU. A little bit high, but slobs kind of eats a little bit of CPU, but as long as we're not maxing out, I don't really care. Um, so having two computers for that is great, and I use the correct CPU for what it's worth. Uh, my gaming computer has, I use VR, and there is some hiccups with VR and some hardware components associated around VR with Ryzen. So... Intel's a little bit more like stable in that regard where like it just works and it just works good. Um, the things I've seen with Ryzen is they go fast, but they kind of sometimes don't always work in the right way. Uh, specifically, when uh, the Ryzen came out, the Elgato HG60 Pro cards, internal ones that you plug into PCIe, um, those didn't work out of the box with the Ryzen. You had to send them back for a firmware update, which was really annoying. And then also currently at the moment, the Wireless 5 adapter also has Ryzen incompatibilities. It, it's because the chipset is so new that hardware manufacturers haven't fully develop them in this regard while intel has been on a very predictable path so that's kind of my my hang up with the ryzen as, as amazing as they are if you're doing some basic stuff they're really really great for that especially for video encoding video editing 3d animation anything that actually can take full use of multiple cores and not be like capped out at like four if it could actually take n number of cores these are like amazing processors especially for the price now that's what's kind of cool about this though so ryzen introducing 
um what is this one two th- uh three levels or no is it four levels uh either way yeah you see so you got your 3000 so this is a 33000 series you have your 3300 your 3600 uh and your 3700 as well as a new 3800 line so there's going to be four levels to this now this is kind of cool the the 3300 is your entry level your super cheap ones uh those range from let me read here because there's a big block of numbers here. Uh, they feature a base of 3.2 and they go up to a base of 3.5. They, yeah, yeah. So it's a 3.2 low uh, on the on the basic one and a 3.5 on the mid-range one. And respectively, it's a 4.0 gigahertz boost and th- 4.3 gigahertz boost. There's also one with a graphics uh, GPU inside, a Navi-based uh, GPU. But that one dropped. You sacrifice some core speeds with that. that that's 3 to 3.8. Uh, but the prices aren't 100 to $130. These are all rumored, rumored specs, by the way. Let me, let me preface that. But 100 to $120, that's so good if you're going to be building like a media PC or just it's a super budget build, maybe you don't want to play anything besides Fortnite. I don't think you need a very good graphics card or GPU for or CPU for Fortnite. There you go. There's your Fortnite PC. Go on your Epic Games. Get your good. You get your cheap games. Get your free games. Play your side scrollers. All that. That's that's an incredible price for a CPU. That's that's a really 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 good price for like a fun project computer that you may do something else with. I don't know crypto mining. Maybe it's good for I don't I'm not a big crypto mining person, but those are if it's a GPU based uh, decryption algorithm, maybe you don't need a good CPU and you just need something good enough. This these may depending on the bandwidth on these, they may be good enough to ma- maintain all those GPUs. I don't really know enough about that, but super exciting price. Um, then oh those have uh, let me what are the cores on those? Do 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 do. They will oh these will have six cores and twelve threads. So. That's pretty nice, you know. Four or five years ago, you most CPUs only had four cores, and hyperthreading gave you eight uh, eight threads. So um, that's cool. That's a hexacore processor right out of the box for a hundred bucks. That's that's really awesome. Uh, you could do some light video editing on that too, depending on your distribution across the cores. But that's pretty cool. On the thirty six hundred series, you're going to be uh, eight cores and sixteen threads, so an octa core processor. That's again real nice. Um, they're going to range from the the low end. Will have, I'm sorry, I'm reading these specs because they're it's just a jumble text. Uh, it's going to go from eight four gigahertz to four point eight gigahertz respectively. And if you want the integrated GPU, uh, that will, yeah, I think it's the same. So that's pretty cool. Um, and I'll go up a little bit in price, obviously, with the GPU. But you're get that that ranges from 178 to 229 dollars. So again, really respectable. Uh, those are some those are some decent speeds. Four point eight is real fast, uh, and that's a lot of cores, eight cores. So these are these are killing it. Um, then your next range, you're gonna be the thirty seven hundred, and that's gonna be three hundred dollars, and the thirty seven hundred X, which is three hundred and thirty dollars. So honestly, why would you just go with the three hundred seventy X? He's a twelve physical cores and sixteen threads. Uh, so that's pretty cool. They'll have a bay. Uh, boost oh yeah so yeah yeah it's like that's um that's going to go from 3.8 oh, let me see. oh yeah so the the flat 3700 model will have a 3.8 
with a 4.6 boost, and the 3700X will have a 4.2 with a 5 gigahertz boost. So again, these are these are obviously the price jumps pretty high here um, from the previous of a like 129 or uh, 220. So it goes up a uh, hundred dollars. So this that's a bigger price jump, but obviously you're getting into these are higher. This is a high end PC uh, CPU, uh, so that's actually like good. Now they're introducing a new tier in this lineup because before it's always been the the third the the three uh, you know X three X six and X seven lines. Now they're introducing you know X is a variable. I'm um, just saying, not that it's a number. With the new line, it's going to be a 3800, so that's pretty cool. It's kind of to compete with the i9 because Intel introduced a fourth level as they as Intel had i5, i3, i5, i7. Now they have i9. Uh, this is a 3800 uh, line, and it'll, have, it'll feature 16 cores and 32 threads, which is mind blowing. That's just, um, and this is crazy, man. Like now, I want to put one of these in my streaming computer because it'll just handle everything. Uh, this was once reserved. This, so this is the same. This is basically the same lot family as the Threadripper, which were more server-based CPUs. Uh, so now we're getting that same performance kind of in the desktop form factor. Uh, and that's crazy. It's going to be $450 with a base clock speed of 3.9 and a boost of 4.7. Uh, that's crazy. And there's a 3850X CPU which would be $500 with a 3.4 gigahertz and a 5.1 gigahertz uh, boost. So just if you want to spend this money, because this is, again, you're getting into the more Intel price range with this one, but the amount of work that you could throw at this thing is going to be astronomical. Again, this is more of a server-based CPU spec, so you're getting server-based like levels. So average person, this kind of goes back with the NVIDIA Titan kind of thing. Like you don't need this. You've, you're just trying to play games. If you're even if you're just a streamer, unless you're actually gonna try to like, I only want one computer. Then it might be inv- worth the investment to pay a little bit more f- to build your one computer better than to have the separate computer. Although there, I think there's a lot of advantages for having separate computers. But if you really want that then this will handle a ton of work or again like if you want to do like 3d animation this is really cool because each each core can be animating a frame of your animation so think if you're animating like a frame every couple of seconds you could paralyze that up to like 32 (laughs) times or so or like it's crazy this is an incredible processor the price is decent but again if it's not super worth it for the average person this is again uh, just mind blowing perform or speed and or what you could we could like throw at this, um, just just cool, just very cool stuff coming out from Ryzen. Uh, definitely hoping it keeps a, uh, Intel on their toes and uh, all that stuff. But it's great. Uh, right right now, if you're in the market for CPUs, like it's it's looking pretty good in terms of what's out there for the bang for your buck. Um, it's it's pretty decent, pretty good stuff. So then now the next thing up, uh, switching gears, Waymo won uh, the groundbreaking like self-driving taxi service. Um, I guess they're launching to uh, in Phoenix, uh, the metropolitan area, to a close set of certain users that signed like an NDA, I believe. And they're going to start rolling out to the broader public um, over time, I guess. So Waymo, I believe, has ties to Google. Um, and so I think 
that's pretty cool. Now, me personally, I'm a big fan of self-driving cars. I really hope that they take over, and I hope, really hope that that's a future. I think driving sucks, and it's super dangerous. And like, out of all the things you do on a daily basis, like driving is insanely dangerous. Like in terms of your chance of dying, is just like, and it's something that we do to ourselves, and it's just like this necessary evil. Because we had to get it, pat- we need something faster and more efficient than horses. But we also didn't have a, you know, we didn't have computers for so long. So it's just like we need to get rid of cars with something better. I don't know if self-driving is the answer, but we got to get rid of cars. Like the cars have got to be a temporary solution to a problem because it's just killing people left and right. Like it's insane. Like flying is safer. Like almost anything you do is like safer than driving, and it's just like. It's it's such a problem to me, and it's like it's such a big waste of time. Personally, like there's always times I'm driving, I'm like, well, I could be taking a nap. Um, I do polyphasic sleep, so I sleep several times in the day, and so sometimes if I miss a, a nap, it's like now I have to drive and like try to fit in a nap. But driving would be the perfect time to be taking a nap, you know, or literally anything. You'd be, I mean, not to dive more into like dystopian future that we have, but I could be like on my phone or whatever. But or even better. Talking and connecting with my friends, you know, over like a video chat or something like, you know, it's like you could you could restore a more human interactive world because we're all driving to work at the same time. That could be your time to like chat and catch up with your family, you know, like we could schedule that time for something super useful um, or just simple meditation, which is beneficial to your mind health as well. Um, So I hate driving. Uh, I want so I want a self-driving car. I want these taxi services, whatever. Uh, so what they're launching is, uh, is a self-driving taxi service, essentially. Very similar. A lot of the companies are trying to get on this because obviously it makes a lot of sense because you have assets rather than human employees and contractors. Uh, you have like, assets driving around. Um, and so they're trying to compete with Uber and Lyft and several other companies. It's a race to like who can launch this stuff. Uh, Waymo in the moment seems to be the one that's furthest out uh, with what their, 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 uh, their taxi service. Uh, of course, also Waymo uses LiDAR versus some other services that may use other types of technology, but Waymo is investing in LiDAR, which is one of the more expensive ones, but the moment is the more reliable one. Um, so there's kind of some gives and takes there on which technology may actually make it in the long run of which of self-driving, but the moment LiDAR self-driving cars seem to be winning and doing better at the moment. Of course, this is a problem for cars that you may want to buy yourself. Uh, as a self-driving car, because the LiDAR itself adds like thousands of dollars to the price tag of the vehicle versus Tesla, which uses a bunch of sensors, which is, makes the that, that portion of the car cheaper. Obviously, Teslas are expensive, but the self-driving nature of the car is not one of the ones, uh, not one of the things that really contribute to that price tag. Just a little tidbit there about LiDAR. It's very expensive at the moment. Um, so there's some photos of the app. It looks a lot like Waze. You're able to hail uh, hail uh, one of these these Waymo cars. Um, the, the this blogger reviews it as a uh, they they checked against Waymo versus Lyft and and Uber. The Waymo price was seven thirty two, and then Lyft was eight twenty nine, and Uber was nine thirty eight. So of course, that's that's a savings of almost a dollar. And so uh, that makes a lot of sense. At the moment, the the way that it works is a user will hail one, and they'll get in the back seat as there's a safety like a representative in the front seat monitoring and answering any questions, but you know eventually you just be able to get in and whatever. Um, there's a it shows a photo of this little kind of looks like an air, airline you know like uh, assistant overhead thing. There's four buttons: a help, 
a lock, a pullover, and start ride with Braille, and then also a camera in the middle. You could hit the help button and get connected to uh, some, of course, this is when the service fully launches and there isn't someone in the car. If you hit the help button, you'll be connected with a with help representative. And of course, I'm sure they could see you through the webcam, and I'm sure the webcam monitors users' behaviors so they make sure they don't like mess with the car in any way. Um, the app, the other car will take you to its destination and you know drop you off, and that's really, really cool. Uh, the bigger questions around this surrounding, can Waymo maintain its lead against the competition? Uh, Waymo is trying to like launch as soon as possible. Their deadline was like 2018. Um, they were, they've been testing for the last 18 months. So again, it's all about just trying to beat the competition in, in this. Of course, everyone knows that Uber is working on their own and all that stuff. So it's pretty crazy. Um, I think it's very exciting because again, of course, being able to use this as a form of transportation is is amazing. Um, ideally, even like, again, there might be a future where like you don't own cars because you don't need to because all we do is use either some kind of public transportation service or this crowdsource kind of self-driving car thing because now I don't need to park, take my car as an individual and drive it on the road and park it, taking up a parking spot. We may just have these cars that are always circulating and rotating and it will drive the average amount of cars on the road down because we're all sharing these cars and using them. If they get cheap enough because they get used enough, um, once a car, you know, eventually, like, what is this price for this ride was $7? That's for a profit. But what happens when that car pays for itself and it's paying for, you know, like, can government, can the government relaunch its own service against this where it's essentially breaking even? And these, and, and all of a sudden, it's almost cheaper to, just take this than to own a car and make monthly payments and you know and that might be that'd be incredible because then of course now we don't need parking lots uh that means more room for buildings and businesses and businesses could be closer together it means shorter rides or walkable it, it just all it just gets better and better with that stuff so self-driving technology is something i'm excited about and services like this going to self-driving is also impressive um and kind of a cool and exciting and kind of brings uh, a fresh look at the travel industry. Following that news of AI, um, there is a new AI uh, go or a new AI game playing AI. I guess I could say uh, Alpha Zero taught itself to play three different games and has defeated the previous holder of AI Go uh, or Alpha Go. Sorry, Alpha Zero is a new one. It beat and it beat AlphaGo, which was the first AI to beat a human in Go. Um, and this is super impressive because, so if you didn't know, Go is one of the most complicated, it has it's one of the games with the most set of moves, um, far more complicated by exponential factors than chess. Um, it has relatively simple rules, but there's so many different play styles that there's like, there's more moves in Go than there are atoms in the universe or something like that. So anything like that makes it hard to build a simple AI to like kind of like beat this stuff. Um, and uh, so I, I wrote an AI for Tic-Tac-Go um, in college. And it was just kind of a fun project. That I, the, one, the one spin that I took on it, because an AI for Tic-Tac-Toe is super boring and super easy. Um, if, you, if you as a human play right and the AI plays perfect, then you'll always draw. But one of the one of the, the the change-ups that I added was you could control how big the board is. So you don't have to just play a three in a row. You could do four, five, six, seven, uh, exponentially more moves. And it was kind of impressive to see how time growth occurred. The AI would 
pick its moves instantaneously until you hit like N six or something like that, like six rows, a six by six grid. Then after that, it took exponentially longer. A 10 by 10 grid would take like eight minutes to calculate based on the, the algorithm I use. I use a mid-max algorithm. Um, and so that would I'll check so many moves down and pick the optimal one after, by trying to predict your moves. So again, this is where Go falls apart because the depth that you search, again, exponentially growing, each depth has to consider every single possible move beneath it. Um, Go having so many, you cannot use that algorithm. It cannot be that way. It has to make in- somewhat intelligent decisions based on other form factors. Uh, and it gets really crazy. It's like really hard to do. Um, so this new one taught itself how to play Go with no input from humans besides the rule set. And it played it against itself. And it was able to beat the previous AlphaGo. So Alpha Zero was able to... Pre- uh, oh, actually, actually, sorry. Before Alpha Zero, there was Alpha Go Zero. So that was a direct descendant of AlphaGo, um, which was only taught, taught itself to play Go, just Go, uh, only given the rule set. And it was able to do that by reinforced learning. And it was able to beat AlphaGo. So in three days, it was able to do this. So very impressive. But again, stuck to just Alpha. Uh, or just the the game go um the next thing though uh they built alpha zero now this is super impressive because a more generalized game it plays chess shogi and go now generalized ais are super hard to make um there's actually a really funny video if you look up like general ai for like nest games it's a three-part video by this guy um and it's actually pretty funny but it's also really cool to watch uh, it it will play these games for hours and hours and hours and try to figure out how to uh, like uh, like optimize its gameplay. It never perfects it, but it's impressive to see it play a lot of games. There's a lot of games it simply doesn't work with. It just doesn't understand what it's trying to do. Um, but it's kind of cool with video games. It's a little bit easier because you always could get, you could always point like, hey, maximize the score. Maximizing the score is not always the only thing that matters in a game, but a, ton, a lot of times it's like the main. Uh, driver for reinforced learning so it's cool to see it play these games like mario and try to like oh i figured out if i go right i get a better score killing a goomba is great you know and do all this stuff and it will figure out all these little tricks and things that humans can't do and it's fun to watch but then it'll like fail out a game completely and it does weird things where like it'll kill itself to again try to maximize its score there's ways to like use up your lives in ways to like it's really weird um, but it doesn't work great. It just works good. Um, so generalized AIs are super hard to make. And so having a generalized AI that can play the multiple games, given no human interaction, no human training, just playing games against itself, only knowing the rules is very impressive. And so in this, they have a little diagram here, and it was able to beat uh, uh, Alpha Zero face the against Stockfish. Uh, not sure if that's an AI or a, another player, but either way, um, I think it's another AR or something like that. Uh, it was able to defeat. Uh, well, here's the interesting thing: when when Alpha Zero was white, it had a win ratio of 29%, which you may not think good, but it had a loss ratio of 0.0, and then a, and, and then a draw of 70%. So this is a this is a, this is a a problem with the limited. Uh, 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 move set of chess. It's the same problem that Tic Tac Toe has. Given a decent enough AI, you could write a super basic one. And I could write a super basic one, and we could face off, and we'll draw 100% of the time. So the more limited you set, the less variance there's going to be. So um, when it started off white, it had a 29 win percent rate, and almost never lost. But when it started off as black, it only had a 2% win rate, 
a 0.8% loss and a 97% draw rate. So I believe it has to do with like white having the first move or, or I don't remember the rules of chess, but given that like one color moves first, obviously that gives the alpha zero some kind of advantage. So you'll see that with a lot of these games and it's kind of funny because I'm like, oh, it's interesting. That has such a catastrophic uh, cascading effect on who goes first that like if you so statistically or theoretically if you're playing against somebody and you are black on his chest you have a statistic disadvantage of course human emotion comes into play and screws all that up but like you're kind of already starting off with a very very subtle disadvantage um when alpha zero played elmo and shogi it had uh again white it had an 84 percent win rate uh it's 13 loss rate and a two percent draw rate um, and then when it started off as black, it had a 98.2% win rate, a 0% draw rate, and a 1.8% loss rate. So again, I don't know Shogi, but obviously that has a much bigger uh, uh, move set. There's much more possibilities in there, giving much more variance and a lot less draw percent possibilities. So super interesting. And then... Again, I'm assuming Go has the largest use set out of all three of these because you'll see it, it's crazy. Uh, when Alpha Zero started as white, it had an 86.9% win rate uh, and a 31.1% loss rate. There's no, I guess there's no draws in Go. So again, much better, kind of a better game for AI to like determine whether an AI is like, learning and good or whatever. Um, and then when it was black, it was 55, 53.7% win rate and a 46.3% loss rate. So almost down the middle when it started off as black, obviously having some kind of disadvantage there. But still, the majority of the time, it was able to beat its predecessor, AlphaGo uh, Zero. Um, so again, it's crazy. Again, if it could beat the one that beat the humans, this is already going off as a very amazing thing. And of course, this is after learning for three days or whatever, based off, you know, after perfecting Alpha Zero the first time, um, Alpha, or Alpha Go the first time, Alpha Zero being a, a descendant of that, um, is able to do it much faster and using, it's just, it's just crazy. Of course, this is only, this is all stuff that needs hardware. So going back to the the, the, the TensorFlow uh, cores that, you know, these are probably using a bunch of NVIDIA GPUs in a, you know, in a, in, in a supercomputer. And just, it's just so cool. Um, because that also means better hardware means you could, you could write these algorithms and make them better, but they still take time to run. So you still won't get your results for so many days or whatever. But having better hardware means you can cut down that training time. It will still do the same amount of training, but maybe in a short amount of time, which lets researchers then optimize, adjust, change, fix bugs in a, in a shorter turnaround, which means faster, you know, faster development of these new algorithms. So again, all this is better software, better, you know, theoretical, you know, AI ideas mixed with better hardware. And you're getting these really cool explosive leaps forward in AI. And again, going back to these can then be applied to uh, reinforced learning of self-driving cars and TensorFlow could be applied to that and and learning and advantages of you know I you know just and you could and you could apply it to each individual algorithm uh, object detection a user on a bike or a person on or a person on a bike person walking across the street throw these into a supercomputer with ten, you know and then have them be have them learn about what they're looking at object detection that's a human don't hit that you know then you put that back into the car self-driving algorithm so again we're getting really close to an explosion of these AI uh, algorithms and AI uh, usage usages are not just for video games, but for usable things like self-driving cars. It, it's going to be coming really soon. 
um, and we're getting better and better and faster and faster at generating these. And it's just really exciting. It's really cool to see. And and one of the things too is again why why this is exciting specifically for Go. And you might go, it's just a game or whatever. How is that applicable? Because there's so much more variance in these games, and they're they're calculatable, and they're 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 essentially benchmarks of how fast we could train an AI algorithm. So they're they're, they're predictable to some degree that we could go. This is how you win. There isn't that we don't always get that 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 you know like that certainty with a self-driving car. But if we're able to go look at, we did something that took us weeks before in a few days, then that shows progress as as ability to generate successful and deterministic outputs from these hardware and software and that mean that gives us some insurance that we're moving in the right direction with these more these other algorithms a little bit harder to define but like it's just it all comes together it's very cool they're all bouncing off of each other and then for the last one last article a kind of a fun one <laughs> rich people are protecting their homes with surveillance drones so there's a company called Sunfire Labs and they're rolling out a subscription service for this this uh, a new type of uh, high tech surveillance uh, the the death deterrent I guess um, it's I guess it's called sunflower and bees or something like that um, but uh, the idea is that you have an automated sensor so the sunflower detects vibrations caused by nearby intruders footsteps and then the quote the bee is a drone that flies out autonomously and captures video of the intruder so kind of funny kind of weird kind of creepy um kind of cool uh, all those things rolled in and it, very logical really too um because also there's there's obviously there's ffa regulations of flying unmanned drones especially if they have a security camera but if it's on your property uh you can so i, I believe i think i'm not a lawyer uh, don't quote me on that but that means the Sunflower Labs is obligated. They have to, they can only market to people who own their lawns. But of course, like, yeah, that's what they're marketing to, people who own homes and want the security system. So in a way, it's kind of cool. I'm assuming there's probably some kind of like, you don't want it going off all day long, but you could probably set like some time frame or like an alarm code or something like that. Or maybe when, you're, when, you're, when your nest alarm is set, it's, it now triggers, that turns on the system. And then you could probably set up the Sunflower thing. So it detects any kind of footsteps, a drone probably launches from a charging pad, flies over, you know, detects object detection or, you know, to try to detect a moving object, points probably a night vision camera at it, tracks it for a second. Now, as cool as that is, obviously, one of the things, too, is if a drone came over and started looking at me, the person's going to leave. So, I mean, that's kind of an impressive, like, deterrent because here's the thing most security stuff is not about protecting you it's more about deterring you um i have security cameras but i don't expect the security cameras to do anything themselves like if someone breaks into my house they're going to break into my house the idea though is that people are going to move on to the next house if you have a security camera that's kind of the idea it's all kind of security theater and all that stuff now i can imagine something more intimidating than a drone flying over to me because is a human on the other end of that is it someone sitting you know like you don't know um, I would take it as a loss and go, wow, there's someone driving this drone. I'm just going to leave. Because, um, of course, if you if you could deterministically tell that, oh, there isn't another human on the side, that you could just knock it down and then continue to rob the house. But uh, it's just kind of a cool, like, I can imagine something more intimidating and more as a threat, threat uh, death deterrent. So kind of cool, uh, interesting to see. Uh, I haven't tried any of the drones that have like those AI kind of like the DJI drones that like take photos for you and stuff like that. So I would need to see how well those work um to kind of really fully get behind this because i'm kind of like do those really work that well not crash into trees and stuff but uh that's kind of cool 
Um, although this kind of makes me think back to the previous article about the Sonos. Uh, sure hope this thing isn't, you know, accessible to the public web and like what happens when it gets hacked or something like that. So there's always that two-edged sword about things going like IoT. Um, it's like, yeah, it's really cool. I love IoT, but at the same time, like having something, you got to, you got to, the problem is you have to trust these companies to be doing what's right for you in terms of security. And you just don't know. That's the end of the day. You just don't know if these companies are doing the correct thing. And it goes back to any of these, like all these websites being hacked and leaking people's data. Like a lot of them, it comes down to, it's like, oh, they just never encrypted your password, but you had no idea they never encrypted your password. You just signed up some random forum on the website because you're into that obscure anime and you wanted to talk about it. But that forum owner, you didn't know. They're just some kid or something like that. You don't know if they encrypted your password properly or not. And so it kind of goes back to this thing. You're, you're going to give this company lots of money per month and you're going to house their drone. And you don't know. But I hope you could hope for the best. And, you, and you're, you're going to be, you know, there's millions of people out there. Will it happen to you? I don't know. But... I don't know. Like, what's 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 scarier? You know, like being hacked or having someone break into your house. And maybe what's more important, um, you know, like something really bad could happen. Identity theft is really bad, but you know, like if someone hacked your your credit card, well, I mean, honestly, hack, credit cards don't even get hacked. They just they they just get like their credit cards are notoriously insecure. But your credit card could get out, and then your bank will refund you or whatever. Or someone could break into your house. You know, it's like, well, in that case, I rather have the I rather have my credit card get hacked. You know, but I, maybe I rather have someone break into my house than my identity get stolen. So there's all these risks you're always taking. But uh, this is kind of a, an interesting idea, an interesting take on security. It's honestly, I mean, depending on the cost, it's not too outlandish. You know, uh, detect vibrations and then send out a, a motion tracking drone. Yeah, sure, doable. Um, it's kind of cool. It's not super out there. It's not super like unbelievable, and so. Will be interesting to see. Right now, it's obviously probably for the ultra rich, but maybe with uh, with enough subscribers, maybe the price will drop down to be cheap enough and uh, kind of interesting. But uh, that's going to be it for me on this week's of um, Eagle Eagle Eyes on the news on tech. Eagle Eyes on tech. Uh, hopefully, next week Eagle Falcon will be back with you. Um, and let me know what you guys think about this. I, I maybe I could fill in some more if you guys enjoy this. Make sure you let Eagle Falcon know. Whether or not I did a good job, let me know. Give me some feedback. Give me, this is my first time. Give me some feedback and some criticism. If you, what you, what you think I could do better next time if I need to step in. Uh, you guys could always find me again on Up Down Left Die. So you could just type that into Google. UpDownLeftDie.com, Twitch.tv slash UpDownLeftDie. Any of that stuff if you want to get in, get in reach with me. Um, I'm I'm half of that uh, Twitter account, but I'll probably respond to you. Uh, I'm me personally. You could hit me up at at xz3r0. That's my personal Twitter account. If you need to reach me as well. But again, hopefully next week back to Eagle Falcon, and that's it for me. Bye.